Good morning. Today's passage is from Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two diary and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Thank you, Claire. Let's pray as we come to this passage. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to this familiar passage this morning, you'll help us to see it afresh. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing in your sight this morning, we pray. Amen. How do I get to God? If there was a, a competition for the most important question out there, I reckon that would get gold. How do I get to God? You see, there's been many uh, attempts to answer that question over the years. And most of those questions, most of those answers that are given, they boil down to do. That's the answer that our world gives us, isn't it? If you want to get to God, you need to do. We're taught that uh, doing earns your way from an early age, aren't we? Whether it's the stickers uh, at school, all the way up to the earning the bonus in the workplace. Doing, well, it gets you things, doesn't it? And actually, that's the answer of all the religions of our world today. Whether it's Hajj, Ramadan and the five pillars for Muslims, or meditation and the four noble truths for Buddhists. All religions rely on you doing something. In fact, many people would say that Christianity is the same. If you were to go into the streets of Hemel Hempstead today and ask, what is Christianity all about? You'd probably be told it's being a good person. It's a good set of morals. Perhaps you have friends who say that. Perhaps you know churches that say that. 
Perhaps you even know really smart people who seem to know what they're talking about who say that. But is that what Jesus says? Is that what the Bible really teaches? And if Jesus does say differently, then what about all those people who studied the Bible in Jesus' day? What about the wise and the the learned people back then? You see, that's the, the same question that the original readers of Luke would have had. Why is there so much rejection of Jesus if he's the way to get to God? Why all the woes that we saw last week? Surely the the priests and the experts in the law, they should know that Jesus is right and therefore they should follow him. Can we really be sure that we've got it right? How do I get to God? Now, we're looking at one of the most well-known parables this morning, but also one of the most misunderstood parables. Of all the stories of Jesus, this one is probably the most famous, isn't it? Organisations have been named after it. Children's books have been written on it. It's even entered into our own language. Be a good Samaritan. But we need to ask ourselves, why has Luke placed this story here? Why has Luke placed this story here? Because when we do that we'll find that Luke is giving us the answer to the question, how do I get to God? And the answer given at the the start of this passage is, be perfect. Our passage this morning, it starts with the context for the parable, starting at Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, we join Jesus here this morning as he's being questioned. And he's being questioned by one of the experts of the law. One of the wise and learned people of Jesus' day. Someone who would have known their Bibles inside and out. This was a man who would have spent his life copying it out. Day after day, he'd be reading it. He'd be memorising it. But just notice what else Luke tells us about him. Verse 25. He stood up to test Jesus. See, Luke gives us the man's intentions. He gives us the whole context for what is about to happen. And so the test, it comes in the form of a question, doesn't it? Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's quite a profound question, isn't it? What must I do to inherit eternal life. In fact, that's the very question that we started, uh, that we asked right at the start. How do I get to God? You see, contrary to popular belief, eternal life, it isn't just talking about heaven. It isn't just talking about clouds and angels and harps or any of those things that television tells us. The question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is in fact asking, What must I do? Well, what must I do to get to God? Actually, if you know your Bibles, the the whole story of the Bible has been about life with God. Right out of the gate in Genesis chapter one, Adam and Eve were living with God. But then 
disaster struck and they were separated from God. And ever since that moment, getting back to God has been the goal. And this expert in the law here, he wants a piece of that. So let's see how Jesus answers, shall we? Is he going to say, try harder? Is he going to say, oh, don't worry about that. Just just follow me. It's interesting, actually, isn't it? How does Jesus respond? He doesn't give a, a straight response to the question. You might have noticed that as the passage was read. Both times that he's asked a question, he doesn't answer it directly. He answers the question with another question. And here he asks the expert of the law, what is written in the law? Basically, what does the Bible say? Well, the answer is there in verse 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. His answer comes straight out of the Bible. And these two commands, they, they sum up all the other laws in the Old Testament. If you were to break any other law, you'd be essentially breaking these two. And notice how Jesus responds, verse 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Great. Nice and simple. That's that one done. We're going to sing uh, our closing song now. Wait, 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 wait what? You, you want eternal life? You want to get to God? Do this and live? You've answered correctly? You want to get to God? Be perfect. Just have a look at that answer a little bit more closely. Look at it until you can see the dots of ink on the page. Look at it until you can see the pixels of the screen. You can tell uh, what device you're using there. What does it say? Verse 27, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. The answer is to be a hundred percent good, to be perfect. So perhaps then the world around us is right. Be a good person and you'll get to God. But the issue is, how good is good? See, if you're, if you're listening in this morning and you agree that Christianity is all about being a good person, can I just ask you, how good a person do you have to be? Is it 100% good? Ouch. Well, I'm not sure I can do that. Or perhaps 99% good? Well, still, I, I don't think we can honestly say that we do that. OK, maybe it's, maybe it's 51%. Slightly more good than bad. As long as the scales tip into good, I guess we're OK. Well, no, the answer here is you need to be perfect. So how are you doing with that? Are you squirming on your sofa? You see, if, if you think this morning that being good is how you get to God, well, I wish you luck. But as I've already said, we're not at the end of the passage yet. You see, you can, you can tell that feathers have been ruffled, can't you, by the way the expert replies. Once again, Luke gives us his motivation and it helps us to see what's going on. So let's go into round two. Verse 29. 
but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? He wanted to justify himself. Now, if you've ever been near a toddler, you know exactly how this works. Just take dinner time, okay? You're trying to get your child to finish their dinner and you say something like this. uh, Could you just eat your vegetables? The toddler looks at you, vacant look in their eyes. Then they look down at the plate. Then they see the smallest amount of vegetable possible and they eat that before turning to you and going, done. You see, they've taken what you've said and they've reduced it to the bare minimum, hoping that that's going to do the trick. Well, just like that, this man here, he wants to lower the bar. He wants to dig himself out of that hole that he's opened for himself. He wants to just grab that spade and start to make it a little more, a little shallower. And who is my neighbour? You see, this man, he knows that he hasn't done it. He's failed to do that 100% of the time. He hasn't been perfect. He wants to lower the bar. And that's true of all of us, really, isn't it? If we're honest. And that's our second point this morning. How do I get to God? You can't. Oh, great, thanks, Dave. That's a really cheery thing to say to us on a Sunday morning. Can we get the the other guy back with his check shirts? Hold your horses. Wait. There is good news coming, I promise, okay? But before we get there, we need to see this parable that Jesus is telling. You know, the one I said that everyone knows, but hardly anyone actually understands. So Jesus tells this man a story, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. See, this story is a story. It's not real events, but it does use elements from real life. So we need to enter the mind of the expert, of the man who's listening. We need to hear this with the ears of the expert. Try and remove uh, any baggage we already have connected to this parable and try and hear it as this man would have. You see, the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho was a 14 mile trek and it declined more than 2000 feet as it went. So literally, a man was going down. And this road, because of its rockiness and its windiness, it was a haven for robbers. So this situation that Jesus is telling in the story was very likely to have happened. The man was attacked, stripped, beaten and left for dead. Just just notice the details there. He's stripped of his clothes so no one can see what kind of person this is, whether he's rich or poor. No one's going to have a clue. He's left for half dead so he can't tell anyone who he is. In fact, He is, as Jesus describes him here, a man. That's all you can know about him. He's plain and simply a beaten and wounded man. That's all we can know. And that's all that the the characters in this story can know too. But what luck, verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. Brilliant! Someone who can help this poor guy out. 
The priest looks to the side of the road. What's that, he wonders. Uh, any minute now, he's going to pull out his first aid kit out of his uh, robes and he's going to help the man. But no, when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He didn't just walk away, did he? He crossed over the roads to avoid him. Or next, a, a Levite comes along. Now, to help us to be in the mind of the expert, we need to know what a, a Levite is. A Levite was one of the people who helped out at the temple. So maybe this man would help this indescript man out. But just like his colleague, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Two down, one to go. Now, if you were uh, the expert of the law, you'd know what's coming next. Or at least you'd think you'd know what's coming next. Kind of like if I was to say an Englishman, an Irishman and a... You're expecting me to say Scotsman, right? Well, whenever you get priest followed by Levite in the Bible... You'd expect it to be followed by the people. Priest, Levite, the people. You can take a look in the Bible later if you want to check that for yourself. So the, the expert of the law, whose mind we're currently inhabiting, well, he'd be expecting a Jew to come along. Aha, this is a story about the hypocritical leadership being shown up by the average Josephus. I, I get it. But that's not what happens, is it? Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where this man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Whoa, 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 a Samaritan, is what you should be saying. Let's just pause quickly and explain. You see, Samaritans were the people who lived uh, north of Israel, north of the Jewish people, and they had a chequered past. They'd been conquered and invaded over and over and over again. And in doing so, uh, the people had been mixed up. And their family lines have been crisscrossed all over the place. If you're a Harry Potter fan, these people are the mudbloods of the ancient world. And not only that, but they'd rejected the religion of Israel and they'd hodgepodged it over and over again. So much so that actually 200 years before this, the Jews had gone up to Samaria and totally destroyed, trashed their temple. Jews and Samaritans do not get on. And that's an understatement. Actually, we've seen this kind of mindset already in Luke. Uh, just go up your page, actually, or flick back a page in my Bible to Luke chapter 9, verses 52 and 53. And he, that's Jesus, sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Well, there you go. So back to the parable. To say a Samaritan here would be like saying an Englishman, an Irishman and an Al-Qaeda terrorist bomber. It's shocking, isn't it? Right, let's, let's hit on pause. A Samaritan? Well, they're not going to do a thing, are they? Well, the man gets off his donkey. He comes to where the man was and he saw him. And he took pity on him. He bandaged his wounds, probably using his own clothing to do so. He poured on oil and wine. That's not cheap. He put the man on his donkey, which means he was walking the rest of the way himself. 
He brought him to an inn and took care of him. He literally went the extra mile for him. And it doesn't end there. Verse 35. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. You see, a, a denarius was the wage for a day's work. So to pay double that, a day is to go above and beyond, let alone the open potential length of this man's stay. So Jesus says, as we come to the question and response, verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? Just notice what Jesus has done there. He's turned the question on its head. The man had asked, who is my neighbour? In effect, he'd asked, who do I need to help? See, he was trying to shrink the circle. And Jesus has redefined the question, not who should I help, but into what is a neighbour? It's an amazing response, isn't it, to this expert in the law? It's gone from being an out there question to being an in here question. A question of the heart. What's your motivation? You see, for this man, this expert, he'd spell neighbour as J-E-W. But Jesus here spells it H-U-M-A-N. So what's the answer to his question? Well, hopefully we all know. It's there in verse 37. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. See, this man, he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan, can he? In fact, he's so grasped and even demonstrated the big issue here. Loving your neighbour as yourself is the target. And reaching it 100% of the time, well, is, well, realistically, not doable. So Jesus' words, they must have really stung at the end here. Go and do likewise. Ouch. You've got your work cut out for you there, expert of the law. How do I get to God? Well, you, you can't. The bar's pretty high, right? No matter how hard I try, I cannot love everyone as myself. I mean, yes, it is it's possible at some points, isn't it? There are some times when you do care for someone as much as yourself, so much so that you even forget about yourself. But then if you're like me, you know that you just go and ruin it a few moments later. As I said earlier, the whole world agrees that this parable is a good moral tale and that everyone ought to love like this man here does. But we just don't, do we? And so like this, this expert in the law, we try and lower the bar. We try and limit who our neighbour is. We try and shrink that circle until it's manageable for us. The parable of, a good, of the Good Samaritan, is, it's a good story, yes. But when we read it as it's actually presented here, it's actually quite a depressing story. It's a story that shows us up. You can see that by who you think you are in this story. 
If you're anything like me, uh, as a story was being read, I was playing kind of a, a mental version of it in my head. Do you do that? Is that just me? Who knows? But you see, in my, my mental movie, the Samaritan, well, he looked really familiar. I didn't need to load up IMDb to see who he was. He looked just like me. We all want to be that man, don't we? But can we find ourselves being more like that priest, like that Levite? The issue is that we can't be 100% perfect. So when we ask, how do we get to God? Well, we have to realise that we, we can't. Now, time for our final song. Sorry, that one's wearing thin now, isn't it? No, 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 that's not the end of the story. You see... If we'd stopped there, we would have worked our way through the passage. And we would have been all leaving this morning, turning off uh, YouTube, sitting on our sofa for Sunday lunch, depressed and beaten up. But we wouldn't have read this passage right. You see, we, we take doing that seriously at Christchurch Hemel. That's why you'll find that last week we were looking at the verses before these. And next week we're going to be looking at the verses after these. Because you can't just pluck a part of the Bible out and hope that it stays intact. See, as we've gone through this passage, hopefully you've noticed a whole load of things that connect us back to where we were last week. In fact, the question that we're asking this morning was actually answered last week. Let me read to us from uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 20 and 21. There it is on the screen. If you remember from last week, the 72 ordinary followers of Jesus, they just come back with a spring in their step. And Jesus says this. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And just after that, as we get to verse 25 of our passage this morning, we encounter one of those wise and learned people, don't we? An expert in the law. But also, just notice there what um, Jesus tells the ordinary disciples, the ordinary followers, to rejoice in. What's the phrase? Well, it's highlighted there. That your names are written in heaven. Essentially that they have eternal life. We saw that in Daniel right at the start this morning. You see that this parable and this question, they're all connected to where we've been before. Just remember where Jesus starts this section off in Luke chapter 9 verse 52. Read it read earlier. Samaria. So if this is all connected together, well we have to keep that context in mind as we read this passage. And that is that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. That's our final point this morning. How do I get to God? Well, we've seen you need to be perfect, but you can't be. And the good news this morning, the big thing to take away is, but Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. You see, as Jesus has been making his way, his messengers have been going on ahead of him. Sharing the good news of the kingdom. And as these people are sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of peace with God. Peace that is needed because we've not done what God has wanted. 
We've not loved him completely. We've not loved our neighbour as ourselves, as we've seen. We haven't lived, as I've said, 100% perfectly. And it's through that, through the good news of the kingdom, that people have eternal life. That's how you get to God. That's how you find your name written in that book of life. And it's all because Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. You see, the wise and learned man here, the expert in the law, well, he couldn't see that the way to God was right in front of him. When he was shown his sin, he, he tried to justify himself rather than ask for forgiveness. It's exactly what Jesus said in verses 21 and 22, isn't it? And so he can't get to God. See, those four words at the end uh, of verse 37, they're deadly to him. Go and do likewise. As we've seen, he can't. It's impossible. But there is a way to God and he is on his way to Jerusalem. We're going to see some of the more of the right response next week. But before we leave this parable behind, it is worth pointing out that Jesus's demand doesn't change. God still wants us to love him completely. And he still wants us to love our neighbour as ourselves. But it just means that that demand isn't deadly any longer. So we're not going to throw this parable out as if it's got nothing to say other than be perfect. You see, in God's sight, those who've trusted in Jesus, they are seen that way. And so that means that we can live up to who we are. We can show love and care for those around us. We're not earning it. It's already ours. Aren't you glad we didn't stop earlier? So how do I get to God? Well, you can try and be good enough, but I can spoil that story for you. It's not going to be good enough. And we all know that deep down, don't we? And changing the goalposts, well, it might make you feel better, but it's not going to do a thing ultimately, is it? You see, to self-justify just makes yourself feel better. It does nothing more than that. It's, it's like that toddler eating the smallest amount possible. They might think they're pretty smart. I mean, for a two-year-old, that is pretty smart. But it doesn't pass the parents, does it? I can tell you that from experience. Instead, we need something more. We can't get to God, no. But God came to us. And he was on his way to Jerusalem. On his way to Jerusalem to die a criminal's place, death, in the place of those who actually deserved it. Those who deserved it for not loving God with all of themselves or loving their neighbour as themselves. So the challenge of this passage is, who are you going to be? Are you going to be like the expert of the law who stood up to test Jesus? Are you going to try and earn your way to God? Are you going to settle on what must I do to get to God? Or are you going to take Jesus' offer here and come to him for forgiveness? See, the king is on his way to Jerusalem. Now is the time of salvation. So what are you going to do? But let's not stop there because there are many people this morning, many of you actually, who are listening to this story and you have decided to follow Jesus. You have decided to already come to the king for forgiveness. So what more does this passage have to say to us this morning? Well, you see, as we, as we go out like those 72 last week and we proclaim the kingdom to our friends and our neighbours, as we encounter those people who say, just be a good person 
as we hear the smart, the, the wise, the people in positions of power saying, just be good or just love one another. But what does that do to our thinking? Do we start to worry that we've got it wrong? I mean, doing that would be much simpler, wouldn't it? What does this say to Luke's friend Theophilus as he sees the rejection of the people around him who seem smart and wise? Those people who reject Jesus's message of forgiveness and instead try to do it for themselves. See, if this really is the way, well, why is there so much rejection of it? In this parable, it's not a lack of knowing what's needed. The expert knew what he needed to do. But what did he do in response? Well, he tried to justify himself, didn't he? He basically said, I can do this on my own. Thank you very much. But as we've seen, as this parable shows, doing is never going to get us there. In fact, the Old Testament law, it was never meant to get us there. If you know your Old Testament law, you know that it ends with Moses, uh, the humblest man in the whole world. That's what it says. Where is he left? Outside the land. As Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 21, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Little children there are those who come to him in dependence on him. See, we can have certainty that Jesus' way is the right way and therefore we can be like those 72 last week. Be like those 72 whose names are written in heaven. And we can proclaim the kingdom of God, the message that gets people there. The message of the king who is on his way to Jerusalem. How do I get to God? Well, be perfect. Nope, can't do that. How do I get to God? Well, he's come to us through Jesus. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We pray that we would consider what we've heard this morning and take it to our hearts. Would we realise our utter bankruptcy before you? Would we realise that we have nothing to offer and instead rely on your mercy completely? We're sorry for the times that we do think we're good enough to get to you on our own merit. But we thank you for the King who was on his way to Jerusalem. The King who offers us forgiveness and peace with you. Father, we pray you'd help us to trust in him and to be certain of our salvation in him. Amen.